more officials and public figures dying in China. Mystery shrouds the announcements, sparking speculation and online anxiety. Health authorities in a Chinese city under fire. The accusation allegedly luring kindergartners into testing new vaccines. The struggle for survival, beginning for earthquake survivors in China. We haven't eaten anything in the past two days. More on the challenges people are facing following the deadly quake. And China has a new way to deliver COVID-19 vaccines, an inhalable dry powder that can penetrate deeper and wider into the lungs. But what dangers lurk behind its development? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Chinese society is seeing a lot of obituaries lately, especially among high-level officials and notable public figures. In many cases, the reasons for death are not disclosed. But the reports have sparked speculation and anxiety online. That says China has been ravaged by a severe wave of respiratory diseases since October. Tang Xiao was the billionaire founder of Chinese AI giant SenseTime. He died at the age of 55 last Friday. The company's statement cited undisclosed health issues, though no previous reports about him mentioned health conditions. In 2021, the Treasury Department banned investment in SenseTime, accusing it of developing facial recognition programs that helped the Chinese communist regime persecute China's weaker minorities in Xinjiang. One day after Tang's death, another renowned Chinese expert died at 51 years old. Chinese media did not disclose his cause of death. Zhou Guangyuan had been a member of the Chinese Academy of Sciences and a leading figure in studying polymer materials. Also last week, famous Hong Kong actress Kathy Chow passed away at her Beijing residence. Authorities did not disclose the reason for her death. But Beijing police on Thursday detained a staff member at a local hospital and accused him of leaking Chow's medical records online. The record shows the actress suffered a cough and experienced severe respiratory distress the night before her death. The hospital confirmed that the medical records were authentic. Meanwhile, at least 16 Chinese artists died after falling ill in October and November. Among them were renowned directors, actors and actresses, singers and photographers. Four of them were under the age of 55. The youngest was just 30 years old. China has also reported at least 20 deaths among current high-ranking officials and former officials in the past three weeks. They include the former vice chairman of the National People's Congress, a former deputy governor, and a former Chinese ambassador to Germany. Those announcements follow the sudden death of former Chinese Prime Minister Li Keqiang in October. Li died at the age of 68, just months after leaving his position as the second most powerful man in China. Hospitals across the country remain overcrowded with patients suffering respiratory illnesses, many of them children. Chinese authorities have claimed the undiagnosed pneumonia spike is easing, but residents from the southern province of Hunan told us a different story. I have a fever. My throat feels like it's being cut by a knife, and I'm extremely fatigued. At my workplace, someone I knew died in August. It's unclear what illness he suffered from. The autopsy analysis shows the cause of death as a heart attack. In October, someone in their 30s who was on duty went to sleep and never woke up. The specific cause was not disclosed. We have had one or two cases where someone suddenly fell ill and couldn't recover. 
The Chinese regime has reported seven cases of the new COVID-19 variant JN1. Because of Beijing's history of covering up health data during the pandemic, it's unclear whether that number is accurate. The World Health Organization classified the JN1 strain as a variant of interest on Tuesday. Chinese scientists have created a new inhalable COVID-19 vaccine looking to replace the injectable version. Here's what you need to know. According to an article published by the Nature Journal last Wednesday, it's described as a dry powder aerosol vaccine. Compared to the traditional mRNA jab, the powdered vaccine could significantly reduce transportation and storage costs and does not need to be refrigerated. According to the development team, it reaches deep into the lungs once inhaled. The vaccine has already been cleared for animal trials. It has yet to be tested on humans. The team behind the new vaccine is a Chinese state-run institute based in Beijing, run under the Chinese Communist Party. Last year, China greenlit the world's first inhalable COVID-19 vaccine and exported it to other Asian countries. But experts caution that its safety and effectiveness still need testing. They've also raised concerns about potential undesired inflammation when inhaled by patients. Internet users in the U.S. also raised alarm bells over the new powdered vaccine, questioning whether it could potentially be used as bioweapons by Beijing and expressing worries about it being placed in America's water systems. We'll bring you an in-depth report soon for more details. Concerning reports from inside China accusing one city of testing new vaccines on kindergartners. A local CDC branch allegedly cooperating with several kindergartens, promising test subjects around $20 in exchange. What's behind the deal? Here's a closer look. Earlier this month, Chinese Internet users used social media to expose several kindergartens in one city. The schools allegedly encouraging kids to volunteer to test new vaccines. That's happened in the northwestern city of Weinan in Changxi province. Many of the kids involved fall into a category known in China as the country's left-behind children. The term describes children whose parents work in other cities, so they live with their grandparents. Photos of the volunteer agreement reveal the new vaccine being tested is against a brain disease. Upon signing the document, guardians must agree that, quote, doctors have answered all of my concerns. I agree to let my kids participate in this experiment. The signatures from the close relatives of the child have no legal validity. China's local CDC is luring them to sign documents claiming that they're informed and that it's voluntary. That's a criminal act. The clinic reportedly pays each participant around $20. A report released two months ago said at least 12 kids in one kindergarten were already on board. Eleven of them are considered left-behind children. What's more, it appears some of the kids' grandparents aren't fully aware of the situation. Some only have low-level education, while others may be concerned about other issues. One grandparent said he was worried the school wouldn't accept his grandchildren if they didn't participate. Residents around the region spoke to NTD about the issue. I'm very angry about this. Doing such things to children can have significant impacts on their health. It's as if the children are being treated as guinea pigs. The local CDC branch in China denies the testing. The incident is sparking buzz online, though reports and information have been largely scrubbed from the Chinese Internet. 
Next, a roundup of international headlines. The U.S. is adding 13 Chinese companies to its unverified trade list. The decision was made because American officials couldn't visit the companies in person to decide whether they can be trusted with American technology. China's Commerce Ministry has to approve the inspection visits. If U.S. officials still cannot perform site checks after 60 days, these companies will be considered for Washington's more restrictive entity list. These Chinese companies include PNC Systems in Jiangsu Province and Xinwei Transportation in the city of Guangzhou. The Chinese Communist Party leader has reportedly told President Biden that Beijing would take Taiwan under control. But he hasn't decided on the timing yet. NBC News reported the conversation, citing unnamed sources. The conversation allegedly took place during the recent U.S.-China summit in San Francisco. An Australian court convicted a Vietnamese refugee for working for the Chinese Communist Party. The refugee, Di San Duong, is a local community leader in Melbourne. Prosecutors said he cultivated a relationship with then-minister Alan Trudge on behalf of Beijing and that Duong arranged Trudge to receive over $25,000 in donations. Duong has pleaded not guilty. Japanese media reports say Tokyo is making the final arrangements to export Patriot missiles to the U.S. at Washington's request. The U.S. has been supplying Ukraine with these missiles, but its stockpile of them is running low. The export would mark a significant policy change if it goes through, as Japan currently does not allow exports of finished lethal military equipment. A lawmaker butting heads with the Treasury Department. The issue, whether your electric car would qualify for thousands of dollars in tax savings. Let's take a closer look. Senator Joe Manchin is pushing Congress to reverse guidance on electric vehicle tax credits. He says the current rule will make America more reliant on China. The division he's looking to flip comes from the Treasury Department. It sets the bar on what type of EVs would qualify for the $7,500 tax credit. Under the Inflation Reduction Act, anyone buying an EV could qualify for the tax savings. But here's the kicker. They wouldn't get the money if the car's batteries have components or minerals sourced from China. The Treasury Department's latest update clarifies that rule. It says beginning in 2025, EVs eligible for the tax credit may not contain critical minerals processed in countries including China. That gives automakers a two-year grace period. Examples of those minerals include lithium. China refines over 60 percent of the metal globally. Now, Senator Manchin is slamming the update, saying it'll make it easier for Chinese companies to take advantage of the EV credit. It's unclear if the Senate can override the Treasury guidance. Will we witness a thaw in U.S.-China relations in the coming year? From presidential elections in Taiwan and the U.S. to continue trade fights, the world's two largest economies appear to be treading on thin ice. Here's a wrap-up of the potential fault lines that lie ahead. After a year that brought panic over spy balloons, a fight over semiconductors, and an intensifying military rivalry. China and the United States are ending the year with an uneasy detente, with both Biden and China's communist leader Xi Jinping looking to stop a freefall in their country's relations. But 2024 could bring new turbulence. Here are three problems that could cause a stumble in U.S.-China ties. First, Taiwan. There, votes kick off in mid-January for the island's new president and legislature. 
The Chinese Communist regime claims Taiwan as its own territory despite never having ruled it. It has vowed to annex Taiwan by force if necessary. Taiwan officials say Beijing has been escalating military maneuvers near the island and pushing a prickly narrative, a choice between war or peace with China. The U.S. could be drawn in if military tensions escalate in the Taiwan Strait, and there's a precedent for that. In 1996, the U.S. sent an aircraft carrier group to the area in response to China's military exercises and missile tests ahead of voting. And I never thought the 2024 like U.S. presidential could election could be even more consequential. Barring last-minute surprises, it will likely be a rematch between Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. Analysts argue that the Chinese regime might prefer Biden for his perceived predictability and as a negotiating partner. And semiconductors are a key issue in the U.S.-China tech rivalry. The U.S. is expected to beef up export controls on high-end chips. Those rules are designed to prevent China's military from getting its hands on the most advanced semiconductors. The devices power AI and have other defense applications. China sees this as an effort targeted at its development, but struggles to push back since retaliating against U.S. businesses would only drive away the foreign capital Beijing needs as its economic growth slows. In northwest China, difficulties are mounting for those who just survived a deadly earthquake. Locals are grappling with cold weather and a lack of supplies, reportedly with little help from authorities. Here are what some of them had to say. We haven't eaten anything in the past two days. We haven't had any water to drink. The house is all gone, and so is the food. A magnitude 5.9 earthquake killed at least 130 people in the country's northwestern Gansu and Qinghai provinces this week. It damaged or destroyed over 150,000 houses. The numbers come from Chinese state media. Officials said about 80,000 people were displaced. Those who lost their homes have been forced to take refuge outdoors in temperatures well below freezing. My two kids are sleeping in someone else's tent. They don't have a tent now. Yesterday, my husband and my two girls stood in the yard for the whole night. A powerful cold front has gripped most of China since last week. Villagers said the only assistance they've gotten from local authorities so far has been tents for shelter. Many of the now homeless quake survivors say they're also lacking basic supplies like food and water. Coming up, a recruitment shortfall, followed by a round of TikTok mutiny. Young American service members are voicing their anger on the China-backed app, taking jabs at the military's top brass while on mission. The U.S. Army already missed its recruitment goal by 25 percent last year. What's driving the dissatisfaction, and how does the Chinese regime's anti-U.S. propaganda play into it? To discuss, we sit down with Casey Fleming, CEO of intelligence and security strategy firm Black Ops Partners. More on that after the break here on China in Focus.
Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. As the U.S. military scrambles to fill up a recruitment deficit, some Gen Z soldiers in the armed forces are telling Americans not to serve. The platform they've chosen to express their dissatisfaction, China-backed social media app TikTok. We sat down with Casey Fleming, CEO of Black Ops Partners, to discuss how the CCP's anti-U.S. propaganda plays into the sentiment of young American troops. Casey Fleming, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you. To begin, the U.S. Army has been failing to hit its recruitment goals in 2022. It missed by 13,000. Now, some are noting the role of TikTok, where especially Gen Zers are posting online saying, don't join the Army. It's been called a TikTok mutiny. What do you make of all this? You're seeing unrestricted warfare. Uh, you're seeing cognitive warfare being executed and leveled on our young, on our Gen Zs and our, our younger populations in high school and middle school. So you're seeing the shaping of their values, the shaping of their brains going anti-U.S., anti-U.S. culture uh, and pro-CCP and China culture. Now, one of these videos has been reportedly viewed over half a million times, and it talks about the low pay, bad food, and lack of privacy. But is that why people join the military? What happened to the sense of mission? That's exactly why people join the military, because there is a sense of mission. But in TikTok, uh, TikTok is a weaponized military application in the hands of our children. And that's exactly what it is. Uh, so you have to understand they are unwinding all the values and all those things that hold our society together, which is our one of them is our military. And to your point, there's a declassified intelligence report noting that China tried to meddle in the 2022 midterm elections. How is China able to do that, something outside of their own borders? The number one ploy and the number one tactic is through social media. Uh, and social media, by its by its use, is cognitive warfare. It's also under the name of informational warfare. So, you know, young minds are very impressionable. Get them when they're, you know, 16, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 voting age, and you're able to shape their their thoughts and their values. In my, my opinion, that's 100% war. And given all that's happening in the upcoming year, what are you looking at in terms of China in 2024? Uh, China wants to be able to continue their their strategy of global domination and global takeover and make everything communist, which means complete control over all families, businesses, uh, economics, and so on. So to do that, they want to make sure they get the most friendly person in the White House to support that that CCP growth. Now, in terms of China's own internal situation, it did not see the post-pandemic recovery that was expected. How likely are we to see unrest or even protests inside China, given the lowered living standard? There'll be another threshold because that threshold was broken with uh, the end of COVID by the rioting and the protests. And, you know, they got what they wanted then. And, they, you know, we're waiting for that next threshold to peak before we see more riots and protests. But then you're going to see also a very strong clampdown by the CCP. Taiwan has their own elections coming up in January. What would happen if the other party were to win the government? What would that mean in terms of Taiwan-China relations? Uh, assimilation into China. So uh, the other party is uh, much more conducive and uh, supportive of uh, of the Chinese Communist Party. So um, 
you can look at that uh, moving forward as well. Now, if that Taiwan assimilation were to happen, what would or could the West do in that sense? If there is an incursion or a war that takes place with Taiwan, those semiconductors are property of the Chinese Communist Party. If they're able to take over Taiwan uh, at ever, what, however long it would take to take over that island. So all that is at risk. Also, U.S. investment, any U.S. investment, whether it's plants, uh, manufacturing plants, whether it's uh, cash investments, company investments, whatever, is at risk. It's extremely costly to them, uh, the ones that remained in Russia, and that's the same thing that's going to happen in China and in Taiwan. Lots at stake here for sure. Casey Fleming, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.